0: We find the hope that we have in Jesus Christ uh, through the love of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. We find that today in Romans chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 1 just for the sake of context and read down through verse number 5. Verse 5 is going to be where we're going to spend the bulk of our time here today. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we also have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory, that word glory means we're thankful for, or we rejoice in tribulations, difficult circumstances that uh, are part of suffering of life. Also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. As we've been taking a look at really verses 3 through 5, we've talked about in, uh, the, over the last several weeks that suffering comes to everybody. Uh, difficult times and circumstances in life are just part and parcel of being a human being. Uh, you will face difficulty. You will face suffering uh, in life. How you process through your suffering determines whether you get better or whether you get bitter whether you get stronger or whether you get weaker, uh, how you process through that is incredibly important, and the Bible tells us how we go through times of difficulty together. And again, if you want to get caught up, you can listen to the previous four weeks as we talked through this, but I'm going to give you kind of the, the baseline idea behind this is this, is when suffering comes, God promises to give us strength. The word patience is its foundation. In Romans chapter 5, verse number 3, means a steadfast endurance that God gives you, the strength to persevere through difficult times. The strength that God gives us uh, gives us perseverance, the ability to stick it out, the ability to see it through, to keep a sustainable pace through this time of difficulty and suffering. And that perseverance then brings us uh, proven character. God forges something inside of you that helps you to process through this and become stronger. Take the things that you've learned, integrate them into your life. Take the things that you've learned, help other people. And in the end result of this is hope. And God gives you a stronger faith, a deeper understanding of him and his character and gives you the ability to trust him more, uh, to, to cling to his promises because you've seen him bring you through it and you're better and stronger as a result of it. Now, last week we talked about what happens when this cycle breaks down, where we lose hope, where we're not strong enough, or leaning on God's strength enough, and we lose hope. What happens? How do we get ourselves back out of that spiral? We talked about that last week. But God is bringing suffering into your life, now or in the future, for one purpose and one purpose only, to strengthen you, make you better, and cause you to trust Him more. And the idea is, difficulty we go on, I trust God more, my faith is stronger, I'm leaning on God, I'm leaning on the promises of his word more, and I have greater hope. Now, the word hope needs a definition associated with it. The word hope does not mean a wish, like, I hope I'm going to heaven when I die. Uh, I hope that traffic isn't too bad tomorrow morning on the way to work. I hope I get something good to eat for lunch today. That's not hope, that's a wish. When the Bible uses the word hope, it never means something that we hope will come to pass. It means it's something that we know will come to pass. It's a confident expectation. I take this as fact. Confident expectation in God for the future based on God's character and the promises of his word. I can say this. I don't know what's going to happen over the next seven days, but I do know this. I have hope that whatever comes... God will give me the strength to make it through. Hope. Uh, guaranteed. I don't know how or when I will die. I just know when that day comes, I have the hope of eternal life in Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Not I, I think I might go to heaven or I hope I go to heaven. No, no, no. I know as sure as I'm standing here to be absent from the body is to be present with yeah. the Lord. Guaranteed for sure know for sure I'm going to heaven. That's a hope that I have. And so when difficulty comes now, because I've gone through some things in my life, because my wife and I have been walking with Jesus for a couple of decades now under our belt. We've had times of disappointment, times of difficulty, times of suffering, and God has brought us through 100% of those. Now when difficulty comes, it's just like, oh, we've gone through this before and I know how this ends. I can trust God today, tomorrow, and every day after that. That's the idea of this tribulation in verse 3, bringing forth hope in verse number 5. But you've got to be willing to go through the cycle. You've got to be willing to, to trust the process as you go through. Hope in God, verse number 5, tells us we'll never disappoint. Take a look at verse number 5 in our text this morning that hope makes maketh not ashamed. That phrase, maketh not ashamed, means it will not disappoint you. You will not be embarrassed or disappointed that you put your faith in God. I've been disappointed by a lot of things in my life, maybe investments that I've made or choices that I've made or people that I've spent time with. I've never been disappointed in anything that I've done for the cause of Christ. I've never thought that was a super drag. Never thought about that before. I think the kingdom of God got advanced, and I got to be a part of it. That's a win. I've never been disappointed by by making a choice to spend time with God in the Bible. I'll I'll be honest with you. There's mornings that I wake up that I think, oh, I'll read my Bible later. Maybe I'll get to it tonight. Or I don't even really want to look at it right now. But I choose to spend time in the Word. And I have never closed the Bible going, well, that was a waste of my time. (laughs) Never. I've always been helped by that. And so when the Bible says that hope in God maketh not ashamed, it means you will not be disappointed when you put your faith in God. Now, again, we have to keep our expectations in check. We can't expect God to do things that he hasn't promised to do. We can't expect God to bend his his will to our will. We can't expect God to follow all the, the steps and prescription that I have for the way that my life should function. But when we trust God the way that he asks us to, you'll never be disappointed, guaranteed. Hope in man will fail, frustrate, and embarrass, the Bible says. Proverbs 25, 19 says... Confidence in an unfaithful man in time of troubles like a broken tooth or a foot out of joint. The Bible says if you put your faith in someone and they let you down, it's going to be very, very painful. I'll, I'll say this, as, you, as your pastor, don't put your, Paul, I'm hope is in your pastor, guaranteed. And here's the thing, let me just say this. If, if I get the, the privilege of being your pastor, at some point I'm going to say something, do something that disappoints you. If you would do me a favor and let me know that so that I could apologize, repent, and we can have unity. That's the Bible plan there when that happens. Sometimes people get mad and leave the church or get mad and get frustrated and talk trash about people. That that just brings all types of drama. Hey, here's the thing. I am man enough to know that I'm not perfect, and if I make a mistake, I want the liberty to make that thing right for sure. And so, again, but understand this. I'm going to fail you at some point. This church will disappoint you at some point. And again, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Continue to put your hope in the Lord. As a pastor, so many times I have to help people unwind. The, their faith has been overcomplicated because they took a corrupt religious structure and tried to put that together with who God is. And then when, quote, God let them down... They then threw the baby out with the bathwater and they want nothing to do with God, the things of God, the church, or anything like that. Hey, you had a corrupt religious structure that you put together with God, and God never was in it to begin with. God never fails. That part is true. Amen. And so, you put your faith in anything other than that, you will be disappointed. But God has a track record of faithfulness. You look back at your life, and again, if you want to, to have some fun, figure out how you wound up sitting in the seat that you're sitting in this morning. That's right. That's not like, well, this part of the, the auditorium is colder than this. No, no I'm not talking about that. <laughs> and again, if this is your first time here, welcome to Hui Kala. We have microclimates here, right? Like, you'll, you'll sit in one seat, you're like sweating your guts out. And the next week, you come here thinking you're in a meat locker. Uh, we didn't change the thermostat. You just found the microclimate. And so, um, but... Uh, I was saying something. that goes, going somewhere with that. Oh, yeah. Um, the uh, track record of faithfuls. How did you wind up here? Here's the thing. Majority of us didn't grow up here in, in Honolulu, born and raised. The majority of us found our way here somehow by a turn of events that one might call, uh, I don't know, uh, maybe some type of happenstance, right? Maybe some type of coincidence that we just wound up here. The Bible says that God works by something called providence. Yeah. God has provided. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. God figured out a path to get you sitting in the seat where you're in today so that you can hear the message you're going to hear today. Well, I'm just here on vacation. I'm visiting from out of time. You're not here by accident. God put you here on purpose today. And if you can look back, you can probably mark where God has been faithful to bring you up to the point where you are today. Maybe times where you try to make a wreck of your life, and God's like, uh-uh, uh not yet. Where you thought you'd really, really blown it, and God's like, oh, I can still redeem that. I can still make something useful out of that. And God brought you to the point where you are today. And again, if you were to just attract God's faithfulness in your life, it would blow your mind. But if you want to attract God's faithfulness back through the Scriptures, you'll find that for thousands of years, God has been faithful. The Bible tells us in uh, Psalm 22, verse number 4 and 5. Our fathers trusted in thee. They trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. The psalmist says, Hey, all of our forefathers and ancestors trusted in you, and they weren't disappointed either. Psalm 37, verses 23 through 25. Some of you should circle, star, underline this verse, or commit it to memory. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he delighteth in his way, though he, fa- though he fail, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his right hand. I've been young and now old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Hey, I once was a young man, but I'm old now, but I've never one time seen people that are really following after the Lord ever do without, because God is faithful. But Many times we forget about God's faithfulness, don't we? We forget how good God's been. That's why God always, if you read through the Old Testament, he's constantly calling the children of Israel to remember, 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 remember. Remember the Lord that delivered you out of Egypt. Remember the Lord that brought you through uh, the waters of the Red Sea. Remember the Lord that brought you across the Jordan. Because they had a tendency to forget, God told the children of Israel, hey, when you cross over the Jordan, I want you to get a bunch of rocks and pile them up. And when your kids say, hey, Dad, what's up with those rocks? You say, I'm glad that you asked. Let me tell you about how faithful God is. So, again, we can have hope in the Lord. I can really trust in God because he's always been faithful. Now, mind you, God hasn't always done things that I've told him to do. Not everything in my life the way that I wanted, but he's always been faithful. God has to do everything that you say. He's no longer God anymore, and you are, okay? So again, God doesn't do what I want. I am here at his disposal to be used for his glory, not the other way around. And so when we take a look at God's track record of faithfulness and how good he's been, we can trust him. Verse number five, hope maketh not ashamed. And our yearnings and our cravings are satisfied within the love of God. Take a look at verse number five. And hope maketh not a shame because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. You know one of the things that everyone wants in life, we all desire to be known and loved. All of us. To go through life and never truly experience being loved by anyone Or anyone even knowing that you're there. Again, when people fall into uh, depression and discouragement, it's generally because they feel like there's nobody out there who even cares that they're still alive. But God is always there. God knows you, God loves you. And that's really part of the deepest part of who we are as human beings. I talked about this with our our men at the of your day, worth any fruit. And from here on, you'll roam the earth and you'll be a vagabond forever. You'll never find your people. You'll never connect. No one will ever want you around. And you'll roam the earth all of your days by yourself. And you know what Cain's response was to that judgment by God? My punishment is greater than I can bear. Like that is the worst thing that could ever happen to a human being is the fact that they would lose connections with people around them. Isn't that interesting? Now, you might be like me. You might consider yourself an introvert. You'd be like, that sounds like a really good deal, right? Like, I never have to talk to anybody, never have to be connected with anybody, never have to, like, interact with anybody. What a treat, right? Yeah, you say that. I think I felt that initially during uh, the covid lockdowns and all the other craziness right like 14 days i get to sit at home and i don't have to talk to anybody like hello sign me up for this right and then 14 days turned into 14 weeks and then it's like hey i really need some connection hey i really need some interaction hey i really need to rub shoulders with people even though it might be uh, uncomfortable at times right why because god created us to be known and to be loved the psalmist tells us that in Psalm one thirty nine, verse number one, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me; Thou knowest my down sitting and my uprising; Thou understandest my thoughts afar off that compasses my past and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. God, you know me. You know every side of me. You know the path that I take. You know the thoughts that are in my brain. You know the words before I ever say them. If I am known by anybody, I am known by God. But here's the beautiful part about God's love. He knows you and he loves you. You know, what's interesting is my wife and I, when we were dating, and let me just say this, I'm thankful to be married because I'll never have to date again. Like, even if my wife dies, like, I'm never getting married again. Like, done. Like, dating is the worst thing in the world, right? (laughs) Because here is someone who is pursuing another someone, and I'm trying to convince her that I am lovable, right? I'm trying to convince her of that think about it. that's what dating is right hey look at me i have it all together i am lovable i'm funny i'm generous i am kind i have a compassionate side to me never mind the fact that i'm impatient i'm full of pride and i get angry really quickly i'm gonna hide that so that i can make myself presentable to be lovable right and then of course you know we fall in love and we get married and then she realizes that she married a sinner who is full of pride, who is really quick to anger, who is really, really selfish as well. And guess what? Too late now. You already bought it, you know. No return policy on this. You're stuck with it. And, and, and here's, here's the truth of the matter. Oftentimes when pe- married couples get together, they, they don't realize that they married another sinner, and this is going to be really, really difficult. I've got to choose to love the good and the bad of this person. And that's hard for us because, again, the whole dating relationship is look at what I have to offer. What I have to offer. Isn't this crazy like when you think of it this way? I can offer you something that no one else can, right? Look at everything that I have, you know, available to you. And then she chooses yes and chooses me. And now I have to convince her to continue to love me despite everything else that she didn't know, right? crazy process that we go through. Here's the thing. God knows everything about you, things you don't even know about yourself yet, he chooses to love you anyways. He knows all the ugly and he still loves you anyways. No lie, there were parts of me that when my wife and I got married that I thought, if she ever finds this out like she will no longer love me. But we understand that the love that we have for other people is not like the love of God. It's unique. God's love is a love that we have to bring into our marriage as well because God's love is unconditional. God's love doesn't come with terms and conditions. If you violate these terms and conditions, God's love is null and void. God's love is unconditional. And again, that's why that's the type of love that we need in our other relationships, I have to love my wife unconditionally. She has to love me unconditionally. Well, how do we do that? Because God's love is given to us. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 speaks of God's love. We often use this and when I do wedding ceremonies. I'll walk them through 1 Corinthians 13 to explain what marital love looks like. It's unselfish. It's always thinking of the other person. It doesn't uh, think any wrong or keep any records of wrong. Love, the Bible tells us, never fails, according to 1 Corinthians chapter, that thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion, grace. Well, I'm a big, huge mess. Good. God loves big, huge messes, and God can redeem that and make something that's worthy of his glory. But if God really knew me, he wouldn't love me. That's how you don't understand the love of God. God loves you not because you're lovable. God loves you because he is God. And that's tough for us to wrap our mind around. Again, because we feel like we have to present something that's of value to be loved. I mean, why do all these filters exist for all the photos that you take? Because I want to smooth out the imperfections. There's apps that you can use to, to slim down your waistline. There's apps where you can put a six-pack abs on a guy, you know. Like, like why? Why? Because I want people to look at me and say, this is valuable. This is worthy of attention. This is worthy of love. But God looks at you in the depths of your soul and has already determined before you were ever even created that you are worthy of that type of love. And that's special. That's unique. But I always tell people, especially in, in, in marital counseling, that to say that you love someone is not enough. Words are, are easy. Talk is cheap. So gosh, and it's probably one of the, the sweetest verses in all the New Testament. But God commendeth, that word commendeth means demonstrates in present tense, continual present tense. God demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Wow. If you said to God, okay, God, you say you love me, prove it. He's like, done. I'm going to demonstrate my love for you on a continual basis because I'm giving you the most valuable thing that I have. I'm giving you my own son. John chapter 3, verse number 16, probably one of the most famous verses in all the New Testament. For God so loved the world. God didn't just love the world, he so loved the world. It's like a next level love that God had for the whole world. But what did his love that he was overflowing with, bursting at the seams with, what did that cause him to do? He gave his only begotten son. God was so swollen with his love for you that he chose to give you, give me his son. Well, what good does that do me? I don't really know that I needed his son. Good, let me tell you, you and I are in great need of Jesus because he's the answer to everything that ails us. Yeah, amen. The Bible says that you and I have broken God's law. We have sinned against God. Not just like that one time you were in college where you did that thing you weren't very proud of, but I'm talking about on a continual basis, you and I go back to our sin again and again and again. God makes rules, and you and I break them. You and I are rebels at heart. Think about it this way. You see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass, and you see people walking on the grass, and there's even a well-worn path across the grass. What do you do? You walk on the grass. Nobody else is listening, and I'm not going to eat either. That's because you're a rebel, right? Right? You're driving on the freeway and you see the sign that says 45 on the freeway. Like, this is America. 45 on a freeway, really? And then you look at your little Waze app that you see there and you don't see any police officers there. And you see that there's not really a lot of traffic. So you say, 45 is kind of a suggestion, right? I'm going to kind of do my own thing and drive a little bit faster, you know? You might even be driving uh, on the H1 westbound. You actually get that section out right when you go past Caney and going towards Kapolei where, like, everything opens up and you feel like you're on the mainland for a minute, right? And the sign goes to 65. You're like, 65 means 75, really, right? You know why you think those thoughts? Because you're a rebel. You don't want to follow the rules. Rules apply to everybody else. Rules are for losers. We're not losers, right? But that just shows that you and I have a rebellious heart. So, God sees rebellion against him, and that makes us, according to Romans 5 that we're in right now, uh, an enemy of God. That you and I have sinned against God, not just once or twice. It's part of who we are. It's part of our nature. We are sinners. Because of our sin, the Bible says, we have earned something from God. Romans chapter 6, verse number 23. For the wages of sin is death we're gonna die one day and you're like oh that's fine everybody dies no no no. it's not s- simply speaking of a physical death it's speaking of a spiritual death Re- revelation chapter 20 talks about the second death after you die here's what the bible says it's appointed unto man wants to die after that the judgment every single one of us will stand before a holy god one day when we take our last breath here on planet earth if we die and get what's coming to us Now, mind you, this is what we deserve. If we get what we deserve, the Bible says there's coming a great white throne judgment. The Bible says that God will take the books and we will be judged according to those books. There's another book which is called the Book of Life, which is basically God's reservation book for heaven. And all whose names are not found written in the Book of Life, the Bible says, are cast into the lake of fire for all of eternity. Hear me this. This is the second death. That's what we deserve. I I deserve to go to hell. I am not a good person. I am a wretched sinner who deserves whatever God says I deserve. Bottom line. But God commendeth his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. Get this. The worst person on planet Earth. I remember when Osama bin Laden had been killed. Man, we were in a a pizza joint that night, and the place went nuts. Like, guys, we don't even know. are coming over our table and high-fiving us and stuff like that. It seems strange, but this is a terrible human being who deserved what he got, okay? Death of the wicked. God wasn't celebrating that night. God was grieved that night. Strange because God's different than we are. And so God doesn't want to give you what you deserve. God wants to be gracious because of his love for you. So he sent Jesus to die on the cross to pay for your sins. And Jesus died. I was supposed to die. You're supposed to die. Jesus died in our place. I was supposed to be punished. You were supposed to be punished. Jesus was punished in our place. We were supposed to endure the wrath of God. Jesus, upon the cross of Calvary, endured the wrath of God on our behalf. And when he said, it is finished, the work that he needed to do for redemption was paid in full. God the Father saw the sacrifice of God the Son, and he says, that is sufficient. And now, anyone that comes to Jesus in faith and repentance can have their sins washed away as if they never happened. So again, if they're for us as Bible-believing Christians, we call this being saved or born again. Those two words mean the exact same thing, synonymous. Have you been saved or have you been born again? It's not a religious experience. It's not when you got baptized. It's not when you uh, recognize Jesus. and believe that Jesus is who the Bible says that he is, and I'm asking him to save me and forgive me of my sins. I was a nine-year-old boy when that happened. It's not something you have to do on a regular basis. It's a one-time deal where you need to be born again. Now, from 9 till I was probably 23, I didn't make any spiritual progress at all. I didn't grow in my faith at all. But I had been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's God's love. You deserve hell, but God says, I don't want that for you, and you don't want it either. So I love you, and I'm going to give you the most valuable thing that I have. I'm going to give you my son. That's how God demonstrates or expresses his love toward us through Jesus Christ. It's important to think when we think about the love of God that God loves you and he reached for you first. The Bible tells us in 1 John that we love God because he first loved us. Again, this was not me trying to make myself presentable to God and I'm trying to woo God or get him to love me. God already loved me before I ever took my first breath. God already loved me and he reached for me first. Again, these are our solid Bible truths that you need to latch on to in times of suffering. God loves you. He hasn't forgotten you. He's given you his son. And when you need help the most, he's always reaching out for you. You might say, well, I've been running from God. Good. You can turn that around really quickly. The Bible says, draw nigh unto God, and he'll draw nigh unto you. Regardless of how far you've been running or how far you've been away from God, all you have to do, great promise from God's word, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You've been running, you're running stops today. God, forgive me for running from you. I just want to come back to you, Father. And the Bible says that he'll be there in a split second. Because of his love for you. You love him because he loved you first. And so we think of God's love in Romans chapter 5, verse number 5, we see this. And hope maketh not ashamed. You won't be disappointed by putting your hope in in God. Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Depending on your English translation of, of, of the Bible that you have, the word shed abroad there, what it really means is to be poured into So if you think of your heart as a picture, God has a picture where he's pouring his love into your heart. And so you and I get to experience the love of God. And God's love has an inexhaustible supply. It doesn't run out. You can't get too much of it. This same word that gets used here for that, that word pouring into or shed abroad is the idea is it's poured in without restraint. Like it's pouring over, like over and over and over. There's nothing holding it back. I had a one time... <clears throat> We on to Panda Express and they just put out fresh orange chicken. Oh, it was glorious. Uh, the big silver wok comes out in the back and the, the glaze of the orange chicken sauce is on the bottom. The steam's rising and they're just like turning it around. I was just like, yes, hallelujah, the Lord has provided. Uh, the children of Israel had manna in the desert. We get Panda Express, orange chicken. I mean, just God's good, right? And so the lady goes, she said, what are you having? Man, I'm going to have steamed rice and double orange chicken because it's fresh. Like, pour it on. So she does. She puts the rice in there, and she starts scooping, and then she scoops again like, oh, that looks good, and then she scooped the third time and put it on there. I was just like, God, you are so good to me, and this is not a lie, I swear to you. She looks at it, and she puts it back in my container, scoops like three pieces off, and puts it back. (laughs) I have never been more enraged in a restaurant than I was at that moment. Like, I'm look, I'm like, I, the look on my life, my, my, my face was a look of, of puzzled disgust. Like, did you really just scoop that out and put it back? And, and she folds it up and pushes it on down. And I was just fuming. Here's the other thing I found out about Panda Express, too. They're racist. They don't, they don't tell you this. They're, 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 hear me out. Hear me out, okay? <laughs> just hear me out. I have found. If you're Asian and or dark-skinned, they automatically ask you if you want chopsticks. If you're white, they just put a fork in the bag and send you on your way. I'm just saying. Maybe that's just my experience, but it's just like, I can use chopsticks. I'm a white kid from Kentucky, but I know how to use chopsticks, okay? Good grief, people. Uh, I was going somewhere with that story. I just forget what it was. Oh, yeah, yeah. God doesn't pour some in and then take some off later, okay? There was a spiritual application, okay? there was a spiritual application, you might have struggled to follow it, but there was an application there, okay? God pours in without restraint. He doesn't give you and go, all right, that's enough to last for a little while. No, 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 God, I really need more. It's like, "Mm, come back tomorrow, you know, after you've used up. No, no, God pours in. This love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And so you and I get to experience the love of God in an inexhaustible supply. First Chronicles sixteen thirty four. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good for His mercy endureth forever. First John three one. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us. Get this that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world noticed us not because it knew Him not. First John three one is such a rich verse that if you just gloss over it, you'll miss it. Behold means like stop. And be amazed. Behold, what manner of love the Father has showered, lavished on us. Think about this. Stop and look at how good God just loads his love up on us. Like how, John, that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. God doesn't just call us friends. God doesn't call us buddy God doesn't call us pal. God calls us son and daughter. What love. I mean, are you going to take a neighbor kid out of your your neighborhood and bring him to your table and say, Come have a seat at our table, son. Come take care of the room that we've provided for you, son. No, that's a neighbor kid. Hey, get your feet off of the the table there, you know. God's not like that. God's just... Come near, son. Come near, daughter. Again, his blood of Jesus Christ has washed away my sins. The Father's wrath has been completely satisfied. I was once the enemy of God, but now I'm seated at his table. What's the answer to that? Jesus, thank you. Man, that's the type of love that God has given to you and I. And as we have experienced the love of God, we should be forever changed. If you've experienced the love of God, your life should be totally different now. Now again, here's the thing with with putting your faith in Christ and becoming a new creature. You need training to learn how to do it well. Um, you need help along the journey. that's why again and who we call a discipleship is a huge deal here because we teach you how to be a committed follower of Jesus and how to live for Jesus and then pass your faith on. It's like the biggest thing ever. because here's what happens. If you're in a church that doesn't help you to grow in your faith, you'll stay stagnant forever and you won't ever change. Again, I got saved when I was a nine-year-old boy. But from nine to about 23, there was no change in my life because nobody taught me how. It wasn't a matter of like I'm an 18-year-old kid rebelling against God and going his own way and doing his own thing and shaking his fist in the face of God. I just didn't know any better. All the Christians that I knew were carnal. All the Christians that I knew were were neck deep in sin. I'm not living as bad as they are. I guess I'm doing okay. I didn't know that walking with Jesus was a real thing. And so, according to the book of Proverbs, I was simple concerning evil. I didn't even know. But when it comes to you and I being changed, we were never supposed to punch our ticket to heaven and sit back for our number to be called. The moment that we accepted Christ as Savior, God wanted to start this process of changing you into being more like Jesus. If you look back and you go, yeah, I don't really see a lot of change. You're not doing something right. You need help along the journey, and, and I am the guy that can help you. Because as we know the love of God, the love of God will change how we interact with other people. I want to be gracious. I want to be kind. You know why? Because I've been the recipient of grace. I've been the recipient of God's kindness. And we, as we become committed followers of Jesus, Jesus takes it to a whole nother level. Jesus tells, uh, during the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, I think verses verse in your notes, verse number 43. You've heard that it's been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But here's what I say. Love your enemies and bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Oh, you've been heard before that you love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I'm saying you got to love your enemy too. Those people that hate your guts, you need to pray for them and do kind to them. Well. Why am I going to do that? Because you've received the love of God. Well, I don't know if I can do that or not. Okay, God's willing to pour into your heart all the love necessary to help you to carry out these things that he's commanded you to do. And again, notice here, this isn't a suggestion, this is a commandment. If you hate your enemy, the Bible says that you're in sin. If you can't love your enemy and pray for them, the Bible says that you're in sin. And so again, this, this love that you have received, it should change every aspect of your life. Man, my home should be filled with the love of God. What does the love of God look like? Read 1 Corinthians 13. It's patient. It's kind. It thinketh no evil. Keeps no records of wrong. Thinks about others constantly. Man, love never fails. According to the Bible, that's what should happen in my life when God's, work is at, God's love is at work in our lives, it shows the world what authentic Christianity actually looks like. Jesus said this, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, my committed followers. Everybody's going to know that you're the real deal Christian because of what? Your love one for another. Notice he did not say, you know, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by your fish bumper sticker on the back of your car. Or if you're like next level Christian, your fish eating the Darwin with the feet on it bumper sticker that you have on your car. That does not make you a Christian. Oh, the cashier the other day at the the store said, God bless, they must be a Christian. Jesus didn't say you'll know them by their saying God bless when they hand you your receipt, you know. Uh, Could that person be a Christian? Maybe so. But that is not the identifying characteristic of a Christian. According to Jesus Christ himself. (laughs) Single adults these days, you know, there's this guy that I like online. He has a Bible verse in his bio. That must mean he's a Christian, right? No. You know, he says God first in there. That means he's a Christian. No. Jesus didn't say, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples. By an obscure Bible reference in your Instagram bio, you know? No, your love for one another. Well, I don't really have that love. Good. Let's work on helping you get that love so that you can show the world that you are a real deal follower of Jesus Christ. Because that's what Jesus says. Now, back to Romans chapter 5, verse number 5. And hope maketh not a shame, because the love of God is shed abroad, poured into our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So God has given us his Holy Spirit to fulfill every single longing of our heart. Okay, really quick lesson. God exists in three distinct persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We refer to that as the Trinity. The word Trinity is not a Bible word. It's just a word that we use to communicate the fact that God exists in three distinct persons, yet is one God. Uh, the Bible word for that would be the Godhead. It dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, meaning that Jesus wasn't a 33% God. Jesus was 100% God. God the Father is not 33% God. He, he is 100% God. The Holy Spirit is not 33% God. The Holy Spirit is 100% God. You say that adds up to 300%. That's Trinity math, and it's really complicated, okay? like <laughs> again, if you figure out a great way to explain the Trinity in about 45 seconds, let me know. I've been searching my whole life for a concise explanation that makes sense for everybody. Because when we try to explain huge heavenly truths in in simple human terms with simple human minds, it's going to break down somewhere. But understand this, the Holy Spirit is God, and God lives inside of every believer in the form of the Holy Spirit. So again, not to overcomplicate things, because the Bible's simple, believe it or not. You shouldn't walk away from church being thoroughly confused as far as what just happened. The Bible is very, very easy to understand, and God doesn't want you to be confused. He's not the author of confusion, but he's the author of peace. So here's the nuts and bolts. I'm going to make it really simple according to Romans chapter 8. If you have the Holy Spirit, it's because you have been saved. If you have never been saved, you do not have the Holy Spirit. So if you've been born again you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't know if I do. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you do. It's not up for discussion. It's not a question. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, there's only one reason why you don't have it, because you're not saved. Romans chapter 8, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So, again, false religion, and it's very, very popular in Pentecostal theology, You get saved over here, and then we're going to pray that you'll receive the Spirit, and then maybe you'll get it, maybe you won't. Uh, And so sometimes you meet people, hey, have you been born again? Well, I've been saved, but I've never gotten the Holy Spirit. "Ah, Somebody led you astray somewhere. Uh, If you don't have the Holy Spirit, it's because you have never been saved, according to Romans chapter 8, really clear. And so it's not a matter of you get saved, and then we'll pray that you get the Holy Spirit, and then you'll exhibit the Holy Spirit by supernatural sign gifts, speaking in tongues and signs, miracles, wonders, prophecies, fortune-telling, and all types of other New Age nonsense. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that God's Holy Spirit will live inside of you and will give you everything that your soul craves. No. Take your Bible, turn to Rome, uh, I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5. Uh, the verses in your notes, but you've got to see it with your own eyeballs. If you have your Bible with you, you need to mark these verses in your Bible because they're going to become critical for you as you walk with Jesus. I am a, a person of average intelligence. I used to think I was dumb, and then I met really dumb people, and I realized, okay, I'm not that dumb. Um, and so <laughs> I'm a person of average intelligence, I would say. So I'm really helped by things like checklists. Uh, for example, my wife, uh, when she goes out of town, always leaves me a checklist because she does not trust me to just perform basic household functions, right? And so checklists helpful. I love Galatians 5:22 and 23 because it's a checklist. Hey, are you walking in the Spirit this week? Hey, are you controlled by the Spirit this week? Hey, is your marriage a Spirit-filled marriage? Hey, is your home a Spirit-filled home? I don't know. What does that look like? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 tells us. So the Holy Spirit will produce in you the fruit of the Spirit. Now, I say that the Holy Spirit gives you everything that your soul craves because this list here is exactly what every One on planet Earth craves. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. In other words, if these things are running the show, we don't even have to give you a list of rules to follow. This is what you crave. You want, in the depths of your soul, to be loved for who you are unconditionally where you're at, and the Holy Spirit can give that to you that you can receive and also give to others. You want joy in your life. You don't want to be happy for a short period of time. You want lasting happiness that comes from something greater than yourself, and the Holy Spirit can give you that to receive and to give to other people. You want peace in your life. You want calmness in the depths of your soul, knowing that everything is going to be okay because your Father is in charge. Everyone wants peace. And you can receive that peace, and you can give that peace by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of us want the capability to suffer long with a good attitude, trusting the Lord even when difficult times come. You can have long suffering. It comes from the Holy Spirit. All of us want gentleness. The word gentleness doesn't mean that you're a sissy or that you're a wimp or that you have a a wimpy little handshake. Gentleness means compassion and kindness towards other people. Goodness means that a genuine heart to do what's good for other people. Faith could also be translated faithfulness. The ability to stick to what you said that you were going to do. The ability to trust in the Lord and be faithful to him. To take it to distance. Meekness is strength under control. It's not raging out of control strength. It's always in your face, uh, uh, exclaiming how awesome it is. Meekness is dialed back strength. I could totally handle this situation, but I'm just going to choose to wait on the Lord. If you've ever been in a situation where you know for a fact that you were right, but you just nodded and smiled, that's meekness. Hey, I could totally light you up like a Christmas tree right now and make you look like an idiot, but I choose not to. I'm just going to smile and, and be kind. That's meekness at work in your life. And that leads to temperance or self-control. The ability to have control over my own spirit, my own thoughts, my own actions, to be self-controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit. these are. This is like a Christmas list of everything that the human heart craves and desires. And it's only available in one place, and that is the Holy Spirit at work inside of you. Amen. So get this. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have access to any of these things. None of them. You said, but... Yeah, I want these things, but I don't really want Jesus. doesn't work that way because the world produces counterfeit fruit that leaves us empty and robs us of contentment. So the world wants to offer you a counterfeit. It kind of looks like the same thing, but in the end, it's not really going to do what you need it to do. For example, the world tries to offer love, but if you really want to be loved, but Thinking that's going to bring some type of fulfillment, but at the end it feels you feeling dirty and empty and nasty inside. All you wanted was to be loved for you. The world offered you that, but it couldn't couldn't satisfy. You want joy, but you'll settle for happiness. Maybe that new car will make me happy. Maybe that new thing, that uh, that new gadget that came out will make me happy. Maybe that vacation we've always wanted to take will, will make us happy. Maybe that new address that we're looking for, that's going to bring the happiness that we're looking for, only to realize you can move halfway across the world. It doesn't mean a change of heart. But I thought it would. It, it, it's going to work for a minute, and then you're going to be disappointed. You're looking for peace. Oh, man, when it, Whenever I drink, all my problems go away. You didn't find peace. You found something to cause you to forget. But get this, you'll always remember. And so you're looking for peace, but you can't find it. You want long-suffering, but all you find is agitation and frustration. And again, uh, social media is a a device, I believe. Now again, you're going to think I'm crazy when I say this, but just hear me out. Because the devil is a liar, because the devil wants you to doubt, I believe, in my opinion, again, you're free to disagree with if you want to, that social media is a device used by the devil to create discontentment and a perpetual appetite for desire. This is my take on it. And so, here's these things that will make you happy. Here's these things that you need to buy. Here's these things that will provide you peace, gratification. All of us want goodness and gentleness, but we'll settle for somebody saying something nice about us even if they don't really mean it. We have people who put on a persona online to gain attention, to gain compliments from people, only for a short period of time. You see what I'm talking about? The world's offering these counterfeits, and you and I many times will buy it hook, line, and sinker. When the real thing is waiting for you, all you have to do is walk in that. Jesus has what you want. Amen. Stop looking everywhere else. And so, again, Romans chapter 5, turn back there, verse number 5. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. I 1, 6, the verses in your notes, you've got to see this. You've sown much and you bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe, but there's none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. (laughs) Man, you're trying to stuff everything in that sack and your sack's leaking out the bottom and your sack never gets full and you can't figure out why. Yeah, the things of this world will never satisfy. Jesus is what you're looking for. I promise you that. The love of God is what your heart craves. The fruit of the Spirit is what your heart craves. Your marriage, you know what your marriage needs? It needs a healthy dose of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's what your marriage needs. You know what your kids crave? Don't you know your kids crave? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Don't it be the best thing for your toxic workplace that you work out? A little dose of love, joy, peace. Pastor, you sound like it's a p- applicable to every situation. <laughs> it's applicable to every situation. It really is. You know, what's interesting. I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I forgot who I was even talking to. I, I remember as a kid watching cartoons, and there was this one cartoon episode of Scooby-Doo where they had found the skeleton key. And the skeleton key was the key that opened every door. And I remember there was a drawer in my kitchen as a kid, and it had a bunch of keys in it. I thought to myself, I wonder if one of them's a skeleton key, right? And like you go, I go around trying every door. And of course, the keys were in the drawer because nobody knew what they went to, but they didn't actually want to throw them away, right? Uh, and so, but I thought to myself as a kid, as a, like a little boy, like how cool would it be to have a key that opened up every door that you stuck it in, right? Uh, and again, maybe I'm overthinking this, but like Jesus is the key that opens every door of your life, Amen. every door that you have in your heart that you're trying to figure out why it won't open, Jesus has the key to it, it's, it's that simple, and so four final truths that you have to remember, and then we're done, first of all, God never disappoints, your expectations of God might disappoint you, I'll say that, and he said, what do you mean by that, really simple illustration, when I was a nine-year-old boy, my, my granny got lung cancer. And um, at that time, talking mid-80s or so, they had just kind of made the link between cigarettes and lung cancer. I mean, if you go back and look at the cigarette ads from the 60s, it's just like, have a cigarette. It relaxes you and can do no harm, you know. Like, so mid-80s, they find out there's a direct link. When well, my, my, my granny was young, she was in her 40s when she got lung cancer, got a brain tumor, uh, and I remember as a nine-year-old boy just praying my guts out that my granny would, would be healed. And she continued to get worse and worse and worse, and she's gone through chemo and radiation, she just continued to get worse, and nothing was getting any better, and I, I prayed my guts out for that. I never prayed for anything like that in my life at, at nine years old. And my granny died, and I remember standing at the, the, the gravesite as they're, they're, they're doing their thing out there, and I remember thinking to myself, like, God, you said if we asked, you'd give it to us, but like... You didn't come through for me. And, and again, mind you, a nine-year-old boy with that. but I've met people that are 39 who have those exact same thoughts of, of God. And so I didn't know how to, as a nine-year-old boy, to put all that together, and it just left me with kind of a, a bad taste in my mouth. The prophet had an expectation that I could tell God what to do. was my expectation that not that God's will would be done, but that God would do my will. Like, I slide a sheet of paper over to God telling him what I want done. God's like, all right, let me get to work on this, and I'll call you back in an hour, you know? God doesn't work that way. And so if you have that expectation of God, you'll be disappointed. But you're not disappointed in God. You're disappointed in false expectations. And and again, here's the thing. I can look back now and and see my my granny was, was not my mom's biological mother, but she took my mom to church. My mom got saved when she was a 16 year old girl, girl at church because my granny took her. My mom also met my dad at church. They got married when they were 18 and made a decision if they ever had kids, if they were going to have them in church. And then you fast forward a little bit, and I realized I'm standing here today sharing God's truth with you today because of the life of my granny. You can only say hindsight's 20 20, but you look backward, nine year old boy, but hey, one of these days God's going to do something really good from this son. Get this, okay? Stay with me. Hindsight is twenty-twenty, but hope looks forward to the future. Hope believes in God. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God's going to be good. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that God always has me because he loves me and he's promised to never leave me. And he's given me his son. He's given me his spirit. He's given me his promises. And I know that he will never disappoint me. Amen. Next, Jesus never fails. <laughs> there's times where you and I will question, can I really be forgiven for all that I've done? Can, can eternal life really be as simple as repenting of my sin and putting my faith in Jesus? It can. I had, I had dinner with a, a guy this past uh, Tuesday night. We we're just sitting, grilling meat and, and talking about life and getting to talk. And I said, have you ever been saved or born again? He goes, no, I, I, I hear you keep saying that at church, but I don't know that I fully understand it. And so we went through the gospel and we talked about it. And I said, Would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior? He says, "I I do. I just don't know how." Man, it's really simple. Confess your sin to God, uh, and 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 admit your need for Jesus. And he was like, "Okay, like, just like pray." It's not the words that you say; it's a confession in your heart and a belief, uh, belief with your mouth and a confession, uh, belief in your heart and confession with your mouth, as Romans ten says. And so he prays. We're sitting at the table, just having dinner. He prays and asks God to save him and forgive him of his sin. He says, amen. And he goes, is it really that easy? <laughs> it's totally that easy. Amen. Like, well, I mean, like, don't you have to, like, raise your hand at church or walk an aisle or, like, you know, somebody has to kneel down at the front of a church with you. No, no, none of that. That's, that's overcomplicating things. Well, don't you have to go get baptized somewhere? No, 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 you're overcomplicating things. Well, don't some, somebody have to pray over you? Or, no, no, totally overcomplicate things. Well, you can only do it at a restaurant because you're a pastor, right? No, no, overcomplicating things. The gospel is really simple. Jesus never fails. He said he would save you if you put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. He has saved you, and he's going to keep you until the day you get to see your father face to face. That promise never fails. Well, I, I, I walked away. Good, walk right back the same path that you found grace the first time. Well, I think I messed up. Great. You find help the same place, at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, under the blood of Jesus Christ, for whatever ails you today, every single time, 100% of the time, but Jesus never fails. Next, the Holy Spirit's always with you. Always. You and I have a promise that believers in the Old Testament didn't have. The Holy Spirit was not available to everyone in the Old Testament the way that it is to you and I. It's typically given and taken away for certain roles and responsibilities. Samson was a judge of Israel. When he would receive the Holy Spirit, he got supernatural strength. Wouldn't that be cool? He receives the Holy Spirit at supernatural strength, kills a thousand Philistines in one whack with the jawbone of a donkey, and then the Spirit leaves him. And then it comes back, and it leaves again. Saul's king of Israel, receives the Holy Spirit. He sins against God. God takes the Holy Spirit and sends an evil spirit <laughs> in its place. That doesn't happen any longer. The Bible says that in the New Testament now, Acts chapter 1, verse number 8, Jesus says, wait here in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you need to take this message of the gospel worldwide from here. Acts 1.8. And so you and I now have the Holy Spirit all the time. We can't lose the Holy Spirit because we can't lose our salvation. Amen. And so wherever you go, and you might feel like the, the pits of despair, you are never alone because the Holy Spirit of God is with you. And if the Holy Spirit of God is with you, it gives the ability to God for God to produce inside of you everything that your heart craves. So you might think that you're alone, but if you have the Holy Spirit of God, you have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance available at the drop of a hat because you are a child of God. So... God never disappoints. Jesus never fails. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. And God's promises are full of hope. Oh, man. Let me give you a life pro tip. Read your Bible every day. Obey everything that you read. Amen. Really simple for you. Because get this, inside the Bible are promises that you don't even know you have access to. Um, when my wife and I first got married, she did my taxes for, for us because I didn't know what I was doing. She, again, she's like uh, married way over my head. She was the person at, at work that like everybody would drop their W-2s off, and she'd fill out everybody's forms, and they would send them in, right? And so then uh, we got married. She started doing our taxes. And then things got a little bit complicated. We began to have kids, and uh, do we qualify for this? Do we qualify for that? And it came to a point where was just like, I'm just going to pay somebody to do it. And, and we got a really good tax guy who, who does our taxes for us. And we'll be having a conversation. You say, hey, did you know you qualify for this credit? And it was just like, I had no idea. It's just like, yeah, you, know, you can save you know, $200 on this because you qualify for this credit. Oh, right on. Man, put it on there. Uh, what about this? What about that? And he's like, well, did you know that you qualify for this? Hey, did you know that you no longer qualify for this? And if you actually claim this, you'd actually have to pay the money back later? Yeah, I don't want to do that. Because here's the thing. This guy knows the U.S. tax code. He's a student of. He's a whiz. He knows his stuff. And there's things that apply to me that I don't know that apply to me because I don't know the U.S. tax code. You with me so far? Spiritual application coming right up. There's things that apply in the Bible that you have access to that you don't even know because you've never actually read it with your own eyeballs. And you can't farm that out to somebody else to say, hey, I'll pay you 200 bucks to tell me what the promises of God are for you. You can't do that. You got to get it for yourself. That's why you've got to become a student of the Word of God because it's a book of hope. Amen. And when you've lost hope, you've lost light of, of who God is in His Word. And so I challenge you to become a student of the Bible. Dig in deep to the Bible. There's so much hope, so many promises. We, we gave out a book last week, but we're going to get more in uh, because I didn't realize we'd ran out. It's called The Bible Promises Book. It's just a book full of Scripture uh, arranged by category, dealing with anger, dealing with, with uh, you know, disappointment. You're dealing with pride. There's verses in the Bible from that that are promises from the Word of God. And, and I love, uh, last week we sang, a uh, shot to the Lord, one of the things John said before we, we, we sang is he says, in Jesus Christ, the Bible says, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Like Jesus is the fulfillment of everything. All the promises of God are found in the person of Jesus Christ. So I challenge you, become a student of the Word of God because there's hope there for you that you don't even realize that you got. The Bible, it says it's a living book. The word quick in the Bible, when it speaks that, means it's alive. The Bible is quick and powerful. It's alive. It's powerful. There are things that you'll read today that didn't hit you the same way that they did six months ago. Because God applies his word to your unique, specific situation, and it becomes alive like nothing you've ever seen before. You've got to spend time in the word, hearing, hearing by the word of God. So I encourage you to become a student of the word of God most important thing in the world, if you're here today and there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you've got to make that decision today. You're living without hope. You're living without Jesus. You're living without all of the things that God promises you by the fruit of the Spirit at work inside of you. You're going to miss heaven by a mile. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Don't put off trusting jesus any longer it's the best life you could ever possibly imagine following jesus and you want to make that decision today again you don't have to walk an aisle you don't have to be baptized you don't have to join our church you just have to put your faith in jesus to save you from your sin for those of us that have accepted christ as savior how is the love of god flowing through you have you become a stopgap for the love of god have you become a choke point That the love of God is flowing in, but it's not flowing out with the same regularity. Man, I would encourage you to open that up and begin to show the love of Jesus to people around you. How is your life? Is your life a life that's characterized by love, joy, peace, long-suffering? If not, there's some things that we need to tweak on the inside to get our heart right so that the right things are coming from us. I believe that Hui Kala Baptist Church should be one of the most loving, caring, compassionate places on the entire island and the entire state because we're filled with a group of people who are filled with the love of God. Let it flow out to others this week. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.